So my sermon today starts with a story. I was staying with friends. I was actually sleeping on their couch overnight because it had gotten late and I had stayed over. And I woke up and their five-year-old was about this far from my face. And she looked at me and she started talking really quickly. And like, I'm not fully awake. I'm trying to keep my eyes open and look like I'm paying attention. You know, the I'm not really awake version of listening, but I love this kid. And she just stops at one point and she looks at me and she says, DL, you really need a shower. And I was a little shocked. But her point was my hair looked bad and she wanted me to look better. So she told me what to do. Now, anyone who knows me knows that I love this story. Conversation with a great kid first thing in the morning, check. Unabashed honesty, check. Laughter at myself, check. And it, but it got me thinking, when and how do we stop telling this unfiltered truth? When does socialization kick in, teaching us what's polite, what's not, what's acceptable, and what's what will get us liked or in trouble? And I think it's very early that we learn this. Not long ago, a neighbor and I were talking about our very different religious upbringings. I was asked to leave Hebrew school at age eight because I asked too many questions. And my neighbor, he made it all the way through Catholic high school, but he was never a believer. And he said to me, we knew the magnitude of the difference between what we were taught in the Bible and what was actually considered acceptable behavior. And this is what he said. Jesus might want us to be speakers of truth, but the nuns, the nuns just wanted us to behave. And this is not a surprise for any faith tradition, lest you think I'm just going after the Catholics. The Bible, the scriptures, the Abrahamic scriptures, those used by Protestants, Jews, evangelicals, sometimes by Muslims, the Bible itself is an attempt to tell stories a certain way. It tells a certain set of stories. Way back in history, before 325 AC and what's known as the Council of Nicaea, more faiths coexisted. I won't say it was from history doesn't tell us it's a perfect world, but it does tell us that polytheism, that many faiths coexisted in relative peace, and there wasn't an overarching sense of this is what you must believe. And then came along the Council of Nicaea. It was called by the Romans, you know, the same ones that were persecuting the Jews. And I want to re remind us here that until this time, moral tales had been an oral tradition. They had been passed down from generation to generation in story, and there were endless tales. And so when the Council of Nicaea occurred, one of the questions was, what stories do we include? what would become what we effectively now know as the Bible? And I tell you this because I want you to be thinking about it in this time of book banning, about when we're debating critical race theory, and all the ways that some are trying to control access to knowledge. 
what's included really matters. So the consolidation of all these oral tales were really a subset of them into a singular written tradition into the Bible was very intentional. Rome wanted a compliant constituency and the Bible emphasized just that. The stories and the tales that were chosen, many believed they were chosen to encourage complicity, to encourage fidelity to God. And when they say God, in some ways they met the Roman Empire. And there was also a financial incentive. Rome would, before too long, use this as a way to acquire all citizens to be Christians, an action which would allow them to tax every citizen as a member of the Christian community. And it would also provide for a common story, right? You need, if you want a unified constituency, a common story is very helpful. So of all the books, throughout all the time in history, the Bible, because of its desire to tell a singular, inflexible, unquestionable version of human history, and its sheer pervasiveness in religious life, I would contend that it's probably the most impactful book ever to humankind. And what matters there, in part, is all the stories that don't get told, all the voices left to the side, that has huge implications. Because the Bible, while it has lots of good, it also quieted all the other voices in favor of a singular set of stories. And I would ask you, where's the voice of the atheist? Where's the voice of women except in subservient roles? Where are the pagans and the witches except being burned? Where are the oppressed peoples other than those remaining in enslavement when Jesus shows up to name the obvious? Who is not at the table? Who is not even considered worthy of a mention? This set of stories, the Bible, it reinforces some notions we're still fighting to change that women should stay with abusive spouses, that fathers can do unspeakable things to their children with impunity, and that rules apply differently across race and across class. The Bible goes on to justify dominion for white men over everything else, people of color, queer folk, animals, the earth itself. It perpetuates a power structure dedicated to preserving the status quo that it itself created. And that's not just problematic for followers of the Bible, it's problematic for all of us. In some way, this was the initial bifurcation of views, right? It was this way or the highway. Gone with was polytheism and all the different views is relevant. Notions of right and wrong ensued. This is where, of course, the story of Genesis begins. The very first story in the Bible about compliance versus self-determination and about what horrors await one should we dare to think for ourselves. And this tradition of history being told 
from the vision of those in power that persists. There are whole states, and I know you know this, that have reverted from a science-based curriculum of evolution to one of creationism. Book banning is terrifyingly present right now. Certain topics are increasingly forbidden to teach. In many places, it is still very much being told by the white man's perspective from those in power in a way that perpetuates their control. And I will note that uh, Elon Musk just decided that cisgender is a slur on Twitter. Um, that's the level of control we're trying to exert at this time. And I want to give you an example. So every one of us in this room, I'm guessing, because we're of a certain age by and large, was likely not taught that Christopher Columbus was a greed-driven and brutal conquistador, right? That's not what we were taught. We were taught that he was a hero, that he discovered the new land of America. And we now know, as your land acknowledgement, points out so beautifully that that couldn't be further from the truth. And I was reminded not too long ago of the malleability of truth when the Vatican reputed its own many centuries long doctrine of discovery. For those that don't know this history, European church leaders and monarchs created a stunning set of proclamations known as the Doctrine of Discovery all the way back in 1452. The Vatican at that time declared that the King of Portugal had a right to conquer any Muslim and any pagan peoples and enslave them. A few years later, a second letter said that all the Christian kings of Europe had the right to take the lands and possessions of all non-Christian people and keep them in perpetuity, keep them forever. If the pagan inhabitants were converted to Christian faith, they might be spared, but otherwise they would be enslaved or killed. And this became known as the doctrine of discovery. And it was later adopted by England in 1496, and it authorized English explorers to seize any lands not discovered by Christian nations. And this was the basis for Columbus's discovery of America and for the resulting attempts to conquer and colonize the Western Hemisphere. It was also the legal basis for the slave trade. This influence isn't some part of our distant past. It's still part of oppression to this very day. It became the basis for U.S. indigenous law beginning in 1823, when Chief Justice John Marshall ruled that a Christian people who had discovered the lands of heathens could assume the right of dominion and thus had diminished the rights of indigenous people to complete sovereignty of independent nations. He claimed that indigenous people didn't have rights, didn't have the right of occupancy to the lands that they had held for so long. This decision has never been overturned and is still cited on a regular basis in federal court. In recent years, we've tried very hard to push back on it, and it's changed some. In 2012, Unitarian Universalists took this on at General Assembly, and we formally rejected the doctrine of discovery. 
And these sort of resolutions are a first step towards reclaiming a history that so many don't want us to tell. And I offer this history in part because I think we should know it, but because in this time of so much fake news, in this time of polarized understanding of truth, in this time of political sound chambers, it would be so easy to forget that there are views different from our own, to not hear this sort of news. And history is existing as much as it ever has in two separate spheres. But only one of those will be the voice of history, ultimately. So when you're listening to something, the podcast, MSNBC, NPR, whatever it is you listen to, I invite us to listen to what voices aren't being heard. And then go look and hear those voices. See what they have to say. I think one of our biggest jobs right now as people of faith is to hear what stories are being heard and what stories are not. And the question needs to be central in our theology and our actions. And that's part of the reason I'm excited for the Article 2 movement. As you use, it's sometimes very easy for us to believe, to think we are living in full knowledge. But I think it's requisite of every one of myself, myself included, right now to keep stepping back and saying, What's the story? What's the truth? What am I not hearing? Because this is the way we learn. This is the way we change hearts. This is the way we change the world. So I hope together that we recognize the work in front of us, the work that we must be a part of. I hope we make space for the stories that we don't want to hear. And I hope that we let them change us. Blessed be.